0: on and the, the struggles that we have and the things that we see through media, uh, the things that we know of through, that we're connected with, Lord, they are hard. But Lord, your ways are higher than our ways, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and you are sovereign over all things. And so Lord, we look to you in all the hurt and all the hardship, we look to you knowing that you are wonderful and you are powerful and you are good. And Lord, we trust in you that though we might not see good things happening, that you are there. And so Lord, we pray just for the different things we know, and we just take a moment now to um, draw to mind those things that we know uh, are sitting heavily on our heart, Lord, and we just lift them up to you, take a moment to lift them to you, and trust in your sovereignty over them. Lord, we pray that you are glorified in all things, Father, that um, though we can't see goodness always, we pray that goodness is there, that you are working in the hardship of life Mm -hmm. and all the situations that you are sovereign over. And Lord, we just ask you how we can be Christ-like in each of the situations we are um, involved in personally. We ask how we can be Christ-like in our prayers for the world, for individuals, and for the community that we live in. Lord, show us what we can do to be Christ-like to our neighbours. Show us what we can do to pray for, uh, or how to pray for um, those global issues: Ukraine, the flooding, COVID, and how people are infected affected. Show us what we can do to take a step each day to be Christ-like to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Mon.
1: Show us how to be Christ-like to those around us today. Did you know I was going to be preaching on this morning? (laughs) It's wonderful when that happens. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be sharing with you this morning. Uh, This morning, I just really want to be talking about a message on following Jesus. What does it mean to actually be a Christ follower, to be a disciple? Because I really want to be a disciple, really, really want to be a disciple. Um, And uh, this really flows on from the the series that we've been um, doing as we've come out of our Vision Sunday. As a church, we've got this call as a church to be making a difference in our world, uh, making a difference in our lives and making a difference in the church. Uh, and at the end of uh, that series, we're talking about um, how to see the world as Jesus sees it. And this really kind of flows on from that. It's kind of a bit of a part two of making a difference in the world. Because to make a difference in the world, we've got to be a disciple. If we're wanting to make a, the biggest difference we, we can, uh, the biggest thing we can do is to become more Christ-like and to be gr- growing in likeness to him more and more every day. And so this morning, um, I hope it's an encouragement to you. It may even be a challenge, as it was a challenge to me as I was preparing it. I was, Jesus, are you really sure we're going this way? Yes. Um, and isn't it normally that the, the pastor has to sort of be speaking out of experience and, and, <laughs> and role modelling this? Yes, well, okay. So this is, this is a word for me as well. Uh, as we look at what does it mean uh, to be like Jesus, to follow Jesus. We know that in the, in the Great Commission, we sang about it in the kids' spot, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Well, what is a disciple? Uh, what actually is a disciple? Well, I came across a great definition uh, one uh, Bible scholar says that the becoming a, a biblical discipleship model is becoming and being a flourishing follower of Jesus, who embodies the character of Christ by engaging in a lifelong personal pursuit of holistic transformation, and doing so with a like-minded community of faith that corporately is committed to being and making other disciples. Did you get that? Yeah. Might need to say. <laughs> Great definition, uh, but probably there's a lot there to unpack and that would be like a whole series long of a disciple. But I want to just talk about the one part that that said at the very beginning, which is being a flourishing follower of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus. You see, who understands the concept that we are mostly influenced by those who we spend the most amount of time with. Isn't that true? We are mostly influenced by, the greatest amount of influence that we have is those that we spend the most amount of time with. And that can be a good thing or it can also be a bad thing. Um, I remember when I was um, uh, growing up in my teenage years, I was in a punk rock band and I worked in an orchard uh, just to pay for guitar strings and amps and things like that. And uh, I grew up in kind of a sheltered Christian home and I was thrust into this world of foul language. As the workers in this uh, orchard, uh, just every second word, it's like the only describing word they had was the F word. And uh, I was 20 uh, not 24-7, but five days a week for long hours, surrounded by and spending time with people who spoke uh, in a particular way. Now, this had two impacts. Number one, they noticed that me and my friend didn't swear and we stood out like a sore thumb. That was a good thing because we were actually shining Christ's light and making a difference. And when you are Christ-like, it is noticeable. And people stand up and they they, they notice it. But the second thing, and this was a really interesting thing, I don't really swear much, but I found that in my thought process, in my talking to myself, I was starting to use the language that I was hearing around me. Great example of we are influenced by those that we spend the most amount of time with. So a disciple in Middle Eastern uh, Jewish times was someone who was greatly influenced by their teacher. So a disciple really, really means a student or a learned person under a teacher. And so when Jesus called his disciples, he was a rabbi and there were other rabbis who had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. And did you know the Pharisees had disciples? They were, they were students of the law. And so a disciple was someone who spent their time, their whole world, being influenced by and shaped by a teacher. And so that's where we get this idea that as, as we are disciples, we are fully, hopefully, influenced by the teachings and the world and the mission of who Jesus is. As that rubs off on his disciples, those disciples make disciples and that rubs off on us. So we are influenced by those that we spend the most amount of time. Now, if that's the case, it was, would it be true that even though we say we want to be following Jesus and we would call ourselves disciples, would it be true if the most amount of time we spend and are influenced by that that would be the case? Or would we say we're actually disciples of Netflix? Are we disciples of social media? Are we disciples of the hobby that we are so engrossed in and spend most of our time doing? Not that there's anything wrong with those things, and I hope you get, get what I'm saying here, is that there is a call on our lives to be disciples of Christ, just like those early disciples. They spent 24-7 with Jesus, being influenced by his teaching, the way he lived, the way he ministered, the way he went about his life. And so it is with us when we are called to follow him. So I want to look at this idea of following Jesus, but probably a little bit of a different perspective to what you're used to. Let's start in the book of Matthew where Jesus calls his first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their net into the lake for they were fishermen. That was their Job, that's what they did. That was their lifestyle. That was the way that they uh, survived. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. You get this idea that you're sitting there, you're making your living, you're doing what's required to put food on the table, to pay the rent, And then Jesus comes and says, follow me. And they left everything. Security, they left what they knew that they were good at. And they left it and put it aside in order to follow Jesus. And it goes on. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called to them and immediately they left their boat and their father. So they're not only leaving their livelihoods, but they're leaving their family behind now. And they followed him. This is the way Jesus called his first disciples. He simply said, follow me. Matthew, the writer of that gospel, was a tax collector. Left his well-paying job, well-off in that scenario, to, to follow Jesus. So he calls his disciples in that way to to follow me, and as uh, modern-day disciples, he does exactly the same thing for you and me. He says, leave yourself behind, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And if we want to respond to that calling, and I trust that there is a, a, a deep desire in our hearts, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you, then... Um, many And many of us have, have have had that call to follow Jesus. And, you know, we've sung the song, I will follow you, follow you. No, not, not that song. Um, <laughs> I have decided to follow Jesus. Like we sing that song, don't we, that we have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Well, if that's the case and we want to respond, respond to the, quest, the call to follow Jesus, I'm sure there's one very important question that we probably need to answer. Where is he going? If Jesus is leading his disciples and He is calling us to follow him, the important question is, where is he going? To follow Jesus of course doesn't just mean a geographical uh, physical sense. But where is his heart? What is his mission? What is Jesus about? Where is he going? Because if we're serious about following Jesus for the rest of our lives, then surely that question needs to be answered. So if, if Jesus' destination is to be our destination, and to be honest, I think this is where many people Come unstuck. They respond emotionally, perhaps, to the wonderful saving work of Jesus and the transformation that he does in our lives. And then there's this call to follow him. And that requires giving up. That requires denying self. That requires, perhaps, some lifestyle changes that we didn't know about when we first answered the call to Jesus. And it's tough. It is tough to follow Jesus and to live the life and to be Christ-like in the world that we live in, isn't it? With all of its temptations, with all of its wealth, with all of what we could be spending our time doing, with all that what's fun, it's hard. Yet Jesus asks us to follow him. So where is he going? Well, in probably one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, Luke 15, we see three parables uh, where Jesus describes uh, something that is lost. There's the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or the, the prodigal son. And I want to look at these stories perhaps a little differently than maybe we've, we've heard preached on before. Um, you know there's been, been many wonderful. Stories and illustrations about, particularly the prodigal son. I think, in my mind, that probably is the best uh, dis, uh, best story of the gospel, of the gospel of grace. That there is a son that wanders away, and his father just loves him so much, and is just so happy when he's welcomed back into the family. Isn't that just the true picture of the gospel? Uh, and Tim, Tim Keller, if you've ever done the Prodigal God series in a life group, if you haven't, I encourage you to do it. Wonderful, uh, great in-depth understanding of, of the, the lost son. But I want to look at this, um, this, this chapter. You know, Jesus' normal style of teaching is that he'll have a spiritual truth that he delivers and then he'll have a parable illustration, a story, to back up that spiritual truth. That's kind of the way he went about his teaching. Very rarely, and normally in Matthew's Gospel, uh, Jesus will say a spiritual truth and he'll have two parables to back up that same concept. Only once in the four Gospels do we have three parables that back up the one concept that Jesus is speaking on. And so that just makes... Me think, well, what is he actually saying here? Obviously, this is of importance. Guys, if you didn't get it the first time or the second time, here it is again. Let, let me get it for you. So um, let's, just, let's just read through this and then I'm just going to unpack it a bit. So looking at the story of the lost sheep, and it's important that we get the context of these stories Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law, those uh, guys that were looking to cut him down, to catch him out, said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, as if that's a horrible thing. And in that context, Jesus explains his actions. And in that context, Jesus explains why he's eating with sinners and tax collectors, and he explains his heart. He explains where he is going. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent of God over one sinner who repents. I think I cut out a bit there. Or, now we go to the parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. And just because of time, just tell you the story of the lost son. One of my favourite parables where a father of an estate has two sons, an elder son and a younger son. The younger son probably quite typically wants to go live his life and he asks for his inheritance in advance. So the father splits his inheritance in two, gives it the money to his son and he goes off into a faraway country and he squanders it in, in funny living. And the, this son, when he's at his lowest of lows, he comes to his senses and he remembers his father and he says maybe I'll go back to him and this is the thing maybe I'll be one of his servants because I'm not good enough to be his son I'm not worthy enough who sometimes feels not worthy not good enough to be his son I'll be one of his servants And so he gets this speech together and he's going to go back and tell his father that he wants to be a servant because he's not worthy. But his father sees him at a distance and runs to him, embraces him, kisses him, and restores him into the family of of the sonship. Not a slave. He didn't even have time to say his speech. But the gracious, loving father just loved him and welcomed him back home. And then, of course, there's this older son who sees that and goes, that's not fair, and he has a problem with that. But I just want to look at these, these stories, and I want to just suggest that uh, in all of these stories, we have something that represents something that's in the wrong place, something that represents the person or the character of God, and something that is in the right place. So in the story of the lost sheep, we have something that is in the wrong place. What might be in the wrong place? The sheep. Thank you. You're good at this. And the person that is character that is represented as God is the shepherd. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I love my sheep. And the people that are in the right place, the 99 sheep, they're where they should be. Same with the parable of the lost coin. We have a coin that is missing. It's in the wrong place. And we have here the woman that is representative of God and Jesus' own heart. And we have something that is in the right place, the nine coins. And here in the story of the lost son, we have a son that is in the wrong place. And we have a father represented as the character of God. Now, this is interesting because some of us would think we have a son in the right place. But as I'm going to talk about in a moment, the son actually was in the wrong place too. Attitudinally, he had the wrong attitude and the wrong heart. But it might be seen to be in the right place. Now, in all of these stories, remember here, I want to talk about what is the mission of Jesus. Is If we're answering the question, where is Jesus going? What does it mean to follow him? Not just Geographically, like the disciples, twenty-four-seven. But in heart, in mind, in purpose, in vision, in mission, in all of these stories, where is God, the shepherd's focus? Where is his heart? It's to the lost, It's to the sheep. Where is the heart? Where is the mission of the woman? Where is her focus? It's not on the the nine coins that are in the right place. It's in the one coin that's lost. She lights the lamp, she sweeps, she finds it. And what is the heart of the father in the story of the lost son? We know this because it says, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, which kind of gives you the impression that he's on the front porch, longing, waiting to see his son come up that driveway. He's facing towards his lost son. So if this is Jesus' heart, this is his mission, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus is facing the people that are in the wrong place. He looks over his shoulder and he eyeballs you and me who are in the right place and he says follow me we're going this way this is what it means to follow Jesus we're going after that which is lost to bring back into reconciliation into the right place because Jesus is about restoration he's about making new what was old what was broken he's about restoring relationship, he's about bringing us back into his family, adopted as sons, in that which was in the wrong place to be brought back into him. That is his heart. And if we are to follow Jesus, then that should be our heart, to seek and save that which is lost. Now what's interesting in the story of the lost son is the son comes back and they have a party. Now the son that was in the wrong place is in the right place. And where is the father's attention now? Now it's on the son that's in the wrong place who's out in the paddock because that son should be celebrating. He should be having a party that the younger son is found and he's back in the family. But now the son that was in the right place is in the wrong place. And where's the father's attention now turn To the son that's in the wrong place. In order to say, come back, come, for our son was lost but now he's found. Come back into the family, come into the house. Jesus calls you and I, as we follow him, to not only follow in the way we live, the way we speak, the way we go about our lives, but to follow him in the mission of our lives, to be facing this way and to going after and to call those. Jesus said, go into the world, make disciples of all nations. So as disciples, we make other disciples to come and be part of this mission of God. So we started with uh, the first call of the disciples in Matthew, how they left their nets and they followed him. And we know that the disciples uh, had a great time listening to uh, and being influenced by the teachings of Jesus, being with him 24-7, seeing miraculous and wonderful things. And then comes the hard part. Jesus is being tried. He's looking like he's going to be in trouble and now, where are the disciples? Are they following him and being with him in that? So, in, we see, um, so whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. It's not about the 99. It's not about the 9. It's not about being good. It's about denying ourselves, sacrificing in order to take hold of the same mission that Jesus has to take up our cross, to sacrifice and to Follow me, Jesus says, this way. And so we, we take that mantra, but here's, here's Peter. And it says, it, it, now we've sort of come, we've come at the start, now we're at the end. It says something interesting in, in Matthew. It says, Those who arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas. Is that how you say it? Yep, good. I'm really bad at names. The high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him. At a distance. You see that? Whereas once the disciples were side by side, going with him everywhere he went 24-7, now Jesus goes somewhere and probably the most boisterous, the most uh, out there charismatic of all the disciples, follows him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest he entered and sat down to see the outcome. Isn't that interesting? Peter says to those who question him, "What didn't you know this guy? I didn't no, I don't know him." That's his response. Now, I wonder if when these same people came up to Peter, in the ministry time of Jesus, and they said, do you know Jesus, what would his response be? Oh, yeah, he's over here. Let me show you to him. He's going to do wonderful things in your life. But when it comes to denying self and following him, even to the point of self-sacrifice, there is no longer a close relationship, but Peter follows at a distance. See, friends, when we follow Jesus at a distance, we see people differently. We see opportunities differently, just like Peter did. People no longer, the, the lost coin and sheep and son no longer are a mission, but they are something to escape from. Back into our right place. The safety of the 99 sheep. Or the safety of the house. So, I want to ask you a question. And this might be hard, it was hard for me. Is your attitude towards other people a reflection of how close you are to Jesus? Is your day-to-day mission of following Jesus a example of going after the things that he goes after? Or is there a distance in your relationship that causes you to sink back and seek the safety of the 99 sheep or the house or the coin? Interesting perspective, isn't it? I remember when uh, Dan Pieslack was here, he he, um, he spoke in a sermon he gave an illustration of having to go to a workplace and for an hour being in worship. And at the end of that time, there was something that happened on the workplace that he just entered into and God used very wonderfully to be fruitful and someone to come to faith in Christ. And I wonder if that same scenario would have happened if he wasn't listening to worship music all the way out to the thing. It's a great illustration. What is influencing us? What is most shaping us? What is most helping us to get our mission of the world? Most of us know the story of the Titanic. Um, If we haven't seen the movie, everyone mostly knows about the Titanic (laughs) It's a wonderful ship, uh, built, was the biggest ship in the world at the time, went off on its maiden voyage. Of course, it hits the, the iceberg and it begins to sink. And many historians have, have looked at the, the story of the Titanic and put together people's um, diaries and, and things that have happened as, as part of this. And I think the story of the Titanic is another parable of the lost sheep, coin, and sun. I want to explain that to you. So there's this disaster that happens. And many historians say that there was two disasters. One, the, the Titanic hit the iceberg. The second was that the, the, um, the boats, the, the life rafts, were lowered. And in the first hour of the ship going down, because it took a long time to go down, those lifeboats weren't filled. They were designed to take about 70 people on board and the most amount was 30 in the first hour and the the least was 12. So there was this disaster of the, 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 the sinking, but the second disaster and probably the worst disaster was there was the opportunity for people to be saved and to get onto the lifeboats. But these lifeboats went down and they started rowing away. And when they saw the severity of the crash and people, there's no longer any lifeboats and people are jumping off into the water and there's people screaming in the water, splashing around, trying to find something to hold on to, the lifeboats kept rowing away. Historians say that there was only one lifeboat out of all of those lifeboats that made the decision to turn back and to add more people into that boat Isn't that interesting? Wonder which boat Jesus is in, where the focus is, where the focus of those people in those lifeboats. I'm saved. I'm okay. I'm safe. And yet there's just one boat that goes back who's facing the right way I wonder if Jesus would have been in one of those lifeboats saying, Come on, guys, follow me. Follow me. There, there are people drowning. People who need saving. We've got everything we need here. All the gifts, all the skills, all that's required. Come on, church. Follow me. Follow me. There are people who need saving. Those lifeboats followed at a distance, didn't they? How sad, how tragic. You know, there's another parable. Well, it's not really a parable. It's just the gospel (laughs) that talks about a cosmic saving. As we head into a time of communion, it really leads into what Jesus has done for us. Because in reality, all of humanity has and was in the wrong place, turned our backs on God, far from him, didn't want to have anything to do with God. And yet that which was in the right place, Jesus in heaven with all of the angels, he left the right place and he came into our world to seek and save you and I who were in the wrong place, to bring us back, to reconcile us through the power of the cross, that great sacrifice that Jesus made to deny himself, to to deny the, the standing he has in heaven, the glory, to lower himself. Come as a man and to walk this way to you and I who were in the wrong place in order to put us on his shoulders, to bring us back, to adopt us as sons, bring us into right relationship with him, to restore us as full, alive human beings, bring us into right relationship with him to celebrate with heaven. That's what he's done for you and me. What an amazing, amazing picture of the Good Shepherd and what he has done for us. So as we head into a time of communion now, it would be great for us to just simply use this time to reflect on the word that's been shared, but perhaps... Perhaps this morning you need reminding of what Jesus has done for you in your life. In the same way that in the Making the Difference series, I said, you know what, it's hard to follow Jesus. Yet if we want to do it, we've got to come back to the start. And part of being a disciple is being made into his likeness first and foremost, and being transformed from the inside. Perhaps this morning you're finding it really hard. Perhaps this morning life's a struggle, would you come back this morning and as you take the bread and the cup that represents his sacrifice, would you say, Lord, I really want to be a disciple. Help me to follow after you. Transform me. Take away my heart of stone. Give me your heart, your desire, your mission. Help me to spend time with you so that I'm influenced by your word and not by that which is around me. Would you do that this morning? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your example. And we thank you for the way that you call those disciples and in the same way you call us to leave our nets, to leave our self to crucify that self and to follow after you and to be about the things that you are about. And Jesus, if you came to seek and save that which was in the wrong place, to restore and to make right, then let that be our heart as we walk out of this door every moment of every day. Help us to follow after you. And Lord, as we have communion this morning, as we share in the meal that you've designed for our church, for the church to partake in, may you remind us of the great sacrifice that you took when you denied yourself and you came to us who were in the wrong place to bring us back into right relationship with you. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who just really needs to enter back into that heart of following after you, would you just minister to them this morning as we take and as we eat and drink of your body this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite, there's going to be a song that's played, um, and as that song is playing, I invite you to just be in a time of reflection. And I'll invite... Uh, this side to come head out, to, actually, no, head this way <laughs> into the middle, come and grab um, the elements, and then come back around the outside. No, the other way, says Mike. I've done it wrong. Head towards the wall, come this way, and then head down the middle. And the same thing for this side. Once that side's all done, head to the wall, grab them, and take them and, and hold them with you. Uh, and we're going to eat and we're going to be drinking together. So as this song is played, it's a song about the power of the cross. Reflect on the words and what Jesus has done for you and what his call is for you as a follower of Jesus from this day on. So let's do that. Thank you. know God loves you so much. He loves you so much that he sent his only son into the world so that those who believe him shall not be in the wrong place forever, but in the right place forever and have eternal life. This is his great victory that he's won for you and I. So, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he knew he was going to the cross, he knew he was going to be beaten and torn and broken in two, and he knew he was going to be alone, for his disciples no longer followed him but at a distance. Yet, knowing all that, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, broke it. He gave thanks. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, shed for you and for many. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we do as the Lord has commanded, and we remember and are grateful for and thankful for is great one all time perfect sufficient sacrifice for you and I so let us take and eat the body and drink Lord we thank you that you didn't I stopped halfway, but you went all out to seek and save. People in this room, people who have gone for centuries before and people who are always to come, those who are yet to come and be part of your family. And Lord, as we partake in you, help us to partake in your mission and to go where you are going to seek and save those that are lost. Would you put that on our hearts, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: As we were um, just listening to Sam then, I was reminded of um, a game we used to play when we were young, Ludo. I don't know if you guys have played Ludo lately. And the point of it, is at the beginning, you normally roll a six and then you get to move one of your little counters out of its house and you try to get your counter all the way back to the middle and you go around the whole board and you might get sent back home again, all those sorts of things. Um, I just felt like the Lord said, let's not be the ones that get our six to get out of the house and that be it. But the point is for all of your pieces, <laughs> all of... Um, our friends, all of our family, to know the Lord and for our eyes and our focus to be on that um, and how wonderful to be to celebrate and rejoice with them through this life and into the life to come as well. Um, Thank you.
1: We've got actually got a, a few more minutes. Does anyone else have anything that they felt that was on their heart that they thought they'd like to share? If not, that's Okay. Um, We just uh, listened to a great song that spoke of the power of the cross. And I want us to finish this morning by uh, singing the fourth verse and the chorus a few times, just to really um, uh, equip us and remind us of the great uh, sacrifice that he's done for us, but also of the power that is in us. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who now lives in us. And it's his power that we go out in. It's his strength that we take hold of as we follow him uh, into this world uh, from this day forth. So let's stand together. Oh, to see my name. Oh, to see my name it's in the wounds for through your suffering. what a cost we stand forgiven at the cross Lord we thank you that we stand forgiven because of your great love because of your great sacrifice because of the work of the cross. So, Lord, help us to be empowered now to go forth from this place and to follow you into the world and to be about what you are about. Lord, help us to deny self, to take up that cross daily, 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 and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for being part of our service. Uh, The coffee is going to be open. Feel free to just, yeah, grab a coffee, have a chat with someone, uh, and maybe you just might want to even just continue to talk about what it means in your life, perhaps some of the struggles you have uh, in following after Christ. Uh, Lord bless you, and we'll see you next week.